Now I want to ask you a question. <laughs> Go back to the question. Have you ever woken up with a default mood of grumpy? Do you know anybody who just wakes up grumpy? I mean, like their feet haven't even hit the bed yet. I mean, the floor. You know, they're, they're just wake up and they're grumpy. You know what I'm talking about? If they're sitting by you and you don't want to call them out, just blink really fast and I'll know that's who you're sitting by. Maybe that's you. You know, you wake up, it's like, where's my toothbrush? I don't know. Who moved my toothbrush? It was here. Whatever. What's the weather like? I don't know what that, you know, whatever it is. You just wake up grumpy. According to research, the human brain is wired to focus on the negative. Big surprise. The human brain is wired to focus on the negative. It, we just have a tendency to remember the negative comments, remember the negative uh, post, remember the negative word, or whatever it is. It's really easy for us to re just focus on the negative. That's why, you know, uh, stats say you get need at least five positive comments for every one negative comment, because we just think about the negative super easy. But this is a major component of why many of us struggle with anxiety, or depression, or worry, because we, it's just easy to think about the negative. And here's what else research has shown. You know how to combat this negativity in your life. You're going to love this. Here it is. A life of gratitude. A life of gratitude. That doesn't come natural for most of us. But a life that recognizes, gosh, it's just so good to be alive today. It's so good to be breathing. Everybody inhale, exhale. That's the grace of God right there. God is good. That's it's just living a life of gratitude. And in fact, there's all kinds of studies and research about this. When I was talking to my wife about this, she reminded me, I mean, there is an overwhelming uh, content and data on the life of gratitude and how powerful a thankful attitude is. So here's the message series for this weekend. Thank you. This series that we're, it's called Thank You, and we're going to be looking at this for the next, for fact, the whole month of November. And uh, our prayer is that all of you grumpy people wake up with a new default every morning. Let me just tell you, the people who live with you would be grateful for this change. They would be grateful. They would be grateful for this change. For those of you who have a grumpy face, you know who you are. You rarely smile. You might take pride in never smiling. My prayer is you have a new attitude and it shows in your face. Is that good? Again, the people that live with you would be grateful for this. Did you know, on an average, some of this just, we're looking at gratitude for these next, uh, for next few weeks. So, uh, again, I want to encourage you come to church, come to church, and if you know someone grumpy, bring them to church. Bring them to church. Say, you need to come to church. Um, on an average, we say thank you about five times a day. That's the average we say thank you. That's what some studies have shown. And they also show at least three of those times where we're not really sincere. That's what it shows. And that's the average day, about five. So I don't know if you know how many times you say thank you. I think uh, um, thank you can, is becoming like a little bit of an endangered species. I mean, have you ever opened the door for a stranger and they just walk in? And you're like... Yeah, that's right. You're like, you're welcome. What's up with that? You know what I mean? Uh, or you feel someone, or you do something kind for someone, 
and they don't do anything. They don't. They, it's almost like they expect it or something like that. And you're like, "Where's um, thank you?" And you want to say, "Welcome to Texas Roadhouse" or something like. You know, it's just like I don't work here. <laughs> I'm doing it because I'm just being kind. I mean, some of us uh, thanking is easy, and some of us it might be might be hard. It might be hard. Um, there's a um, a TED talk on a guy a guy named AJ Jacobs, and he's an agnostic, but he discovered the power of uh, gratitude. And what he did was he went to uh, his Starbucks, his local Starbucks, um, and he got, a, he, got a, he got his drink. And then he thought about it a little bit, and he said, I should thank the barista for this Starbucks. And, and I don't know about you, when you get your coffee at, or wherever you go, uh, maybe it's from someone in the house, or maybe it's from wherever, um, you, do you say thank you? So he did this little thing where he uh, decided to uh, go down this journey of gratitude, and he decided to thank uh, the barista. And then he thought, well, you know, it's not just the barista I should be thanking. It should be the the rest of the team also because they're a team and they're working together and they are providing, you know, because they're taking care of so many customers and they're also taking care of me in a timely manner and they're making sure my drink is hot, I should really thank everyone and I shouldn't just thank them. I probably should thank the store manager as well because the store manager is the one who's kind of running the ship and making sure that everything runs smoothly. And I probably shouldn't stop at the store manager. I should probably thank the district manager as well, because the district manager oversees several stores. And, and they have a quite a responsibility to make sure they hire the right people. And, and that's very kind. But I shouldn't stop there. I should probably thank the person who decided what coffee to sell at this store, because that's really a big deal. And I love the coffee. And they probably are never really thanked enough. So I'm going to find the person who, th- who ordered this coffee. And I need, to, I need to find them. But you know, as I think about it, this coffee had to come down the road. So I probably should thank the road crew that it traveled on, and I should probably thank the people who laid the asphalt, and I should probably thank the driver, the truck driver, and I should probably thank them, and I should probably go, I need to thank the person at the warehouse who started this whole thing, and I I need to go there. And you know what? I need to thank the person who flew that airplane, because it didn't come here, probably came from Columbia or somewhere like that, so I should probably travel, he literally traveled, go across and find that goat farmer, find that person who's working in that coffee plantation and who's picking those, you know, coffee really starts as a fruit. And it picks it. And I should thank them for picking out this fruit and picking out this bean. And I should probably thank all the machines that are at this coffee plantation. There's a lot of machines involved. And I know that it requires people to maintain those machines. So I need to thank those people who operate those machines as well. And I need to think about the person who plows the field. And I also need to thank the person who first started the whole thing and bought the land. And you know what he discovered is literally a thousand thanks. And he discovers it takes a whole world to put together one coffee cup, just about. That, was, that took a lot out of me, guys. And, and uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Here's what I'm going to say. I feel like I should bow or something like that. <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus, help me. Uh, your perspective of life is defined by the depth of your gratitude towards God. We're going somewhere. Hang with me, guys. We're going somewhere. Your perspective of life is determined by the depth. Say depth with me. Depth. How deep your gratitude is 
towards God. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you have a deep gratitude. And others of you don't. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like for some times, you know, the barista, you could say thank you, but you really don't have a relationship with them. Right? You, you, can, you can do that. Uh, my wife, I love her so much. She does things for me. And I know she does them for me because she loves me. And they might be silly or something like that to me, but like, like, like today, she made me a quesadilla to come to church. I thought, that's really nice. She knows I'm in a rush, and she made it just like I like it. And I took a picture of it, and I sent it to her, and I said, thank you for my quesadilla. But it wasn't just a quesadilla. It was worth way more than Chipotle or Qdoba's or anywhere else, because I know the person who put it together. And she loves me, and she cares about me. Yeah, you hear that baby? They're applauding for you in the back. She's shaking her head. I might get lucky tonight. Now I'm just saying, I'm talking about quesadillas. You never know. You never know. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I said that word. <laughs> um, you all have a relationship with God. I got to get everyone back on track here. <laughs> I gotta get, okay, I want to share with you two stories, two stories in the Bible. And there are two uh, different people. Both of them are men. But, but one says thank you really well. The other one can't. Got it? They have some stuff in common. Both of them are pretty wealthy, really wealthy. Both of them have a reputation. Both of them do. And both of them have this encounter with Jesus. Um, but they, one says thank you, and the other can't. But when you look at the one that says thank you, you see a depth in their gratitude. Now, the goal is for you to walk out of this place with a grateful heart. You, you, see, you see the positive instead of the negative. The goal is that you allow God to change your heart. That's the goal. And, and you're just different because you had an encounter with Jesus. You had an encounter with the living God. That's the goal. So there's the motive right there, guys. But we've got to look at these two stories. So let's look at this first story. The title is The Rich Young Ruler. And here he is. You find him in Luke chapter 18. Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question. Good teacher. What should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother. I want you to, I want to stop right here. Notice these commandments that Jesus just said, hey, you know these commandments. What do they all have to deal with? They all have to do with relationships with other human beings. Did you see that? All of them. Look, look at them. They all have to do with relationships with people. Committing adultery, murder, stealing, testifying falsely, honoring your father and your mother. Those are all relationships. Keep that in mind. Verse 21. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, there is still one thing. Say one thing with me. One thing. You haven't done. Here it comes. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. 
then come, and what does Jesus tell them to do? The two biggest words you'll ever hear. Remember Jesus said that to disciples when they dropped their nets, and other times he said, follow me. Those are two strong words. Verse 23, but when the man heard this, he became very, very sad, for he was very rich. So here's this rich young ruler. He's really a good person. In fact, when you look at him and you, you look at those, those commandments that he has obeyed, not, not lying or stealing and, you know, this idea of being kind and all those commandments that he talked about and not committing adultery, not murdering, not stealing, all, not testifying falsely. You know what? Let me just tell you, every one of us here would want to have him as our neighbor. He's a good guy. This is a guy who would rake your leaves for you and no big deal. He's a good person. This guy is also someone who grew up in church. Anybody grew up in church? This is a guy who knew the commandments. I mean, when Jesus said, hey, you know the commandments, and you, know, you shouldn't commit adultery or murder or steal or testify. He was like, yep, check, 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 check. I'm all of those things. And he looks at Jesus, and he even calls him good. He even calls him good. So you get this impression that he understands like there is a God. He understands there's a supreme being. He understands this. In fact, I would argue that people want to hang out with this guy. He's wealthy too. We like hanging around wealthy people. We do. We like hanging out with people who have means because sometimes it might spill over into us, our life, and we get to do things that we normally can't do or whatever it is. We enjoy doing that. He knows the Bible. I bet he's even prayed before, maybe many, many times. People want to be with him, and he's rich. Now, before you think, you know what, um, I have nothing in common with this guy, let me just say this. Everyone in this room, everyone watching, hear this. You are rich compared to someone else. You are rich compared to someone else. Someone else looks at your life and says, man, you are rich. Every one of us. Every one of us, you are rich to someone else. But here's what Jesus doesn't mention. He didn't mention to them, you shall have no other gods before me. That's like the first commandment. Did you catch that? He didn't say, you shall not make for yourself an idol. That's the second commandment. He didn't say that. And he didn't talk about not using the name of the Lord in vain or remembering to keep the Sabbath day holy. My guess is he kept the Sabbath day holy. I bet he went to church frequently. So these commandments that Jesus didn't mention have to do with his relationship with God. You hear that? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for, your, for yourself any kind of idol. Jesus didn't mention those, did he? But those commandments have to do with God. But you know what Jesus does? He doesn't mention them, but he mentions them. <laughs> you know how he mentions them? Verse 22, there's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And then, follow me. Now, for this rich young ruler to do that, you know what? That would mean his money can't be his God. Right? Did you hear that? That would mean his money can't be his idol. Think about that. For him to make that decision and walk away would mean 
that he agrees that he's not going to have any other God besides God before him, and he's not going to make any other idol. But just that one question, Jesus says, all right, well, sell everything you got and come follow me. And he's like in this spiritual conundrum, this spiritual, this place of tension that he's like, oh, I wish you wouldn't have asked that. I'd rather just give you my giving statement. I'd rather just, I want you to see all the good things I do, all the places I volunteer. I'd rather just, you can see my, my attendance report from all the times I've gone to church or all the times I've read the, why you got to talk about money? Now, truthfully, I, Jesus, he has no problems with someone who has wealth. That's not an issue. He has no problems with someone who has money. I mean, all of us are rich, relatively speaking, right? But Jesus, he makes this point that he alone is God, and we shouldn't have any other gods before him. So you could own your money, but don't let your money own you. There it is right there. And there's a difference. And Jesus, like Jesus does all the time, he goes right to the heart of the issue. He was feeling pretty good about himself. I mean, I, I think I would. <laughs> He's feeling pretty good about himself until Jesus says, put everything on Facebook Marketplace and follow me. And he's like, oh. You know that, that spiritual crossroad that you get to and like something is said that exposes your heart? You know what I'm talking about? That place that reveals your faith, what you really believe. Have you been there before? Maybe when the pastor says, you call yourself a Christian, you should be serving God somewhere. Some of you, that statement alone will, will cause you never to go back to that church. You call yourself a Christian, well, you should be honoring God with your finances. Some of you, that statement alone would be enough. Never go back to that church. But let's get away from that. You call yourself a Christian where you shouldn't be getting drunk like you're getting drunk. Ooh, I just went there. Call yourself a Christian where you shouldn't be sleeping around like that. Ooh, you know what I'm talking about? There are certain things that if we, if, we, if we go there, it's like, wait a minute now. You don't, who are you to judge me? You call yourself a Christian, you should be forgiving that person and you should be initiating it. Whoa. Whoa. What we, lo what we do is we look at ourselves and we, we say, you know what? Um, I used to do this and 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 I did this, God. So I know God sees everything I've done. I know God sees my heart. I know God understands my circumstances. So he's okay. But I think all of us have been at that spiritual crossroad when Jesus says, Sell all your possessions and come follow me. And you know what this rich young ruler does? He looks at all of his stuff and he looks at Jesus and he can't do it. Scripture says he walked away sad. He walked away sad. Let me say it like this. This is what the rich young ruler shows us. You can be a good person and an idolater at the same time. Ooh. Let that one sink in a little bit. 
I won't let it sit too long because I know it might be a little bit hard. This rich young ruler worshipped his money. Money was the most important part of his life. I think if we're honest, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm putting myself there, I think all of us want to have a great life. I, all of us do. All of us want to have a great uh, a lifestyle, a great quality of life. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. And, and God certainly blesses us with experiences and even finances and gives us great opportunities and great jobs. There's nothing wrong with that. And God wants us to be a good steward. There's, I mean, that's, he wants us to be a good steward of our gifts and our talents and resources, all of those things. But I want to say this also. There's a short step between being a good steward of your money and being in love with your money. There's a short step there. You can fall in love with that thing that you're stewarding. And then all of a sudden, it becomes your God. Maybe it's your time. Whatever it is, you fall in love with it. Paul said in 1 Timothy, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The love of money. A root of all kinds of evil. Have you ever done something that you thought you never would do? You thought, there's just no way I would ever be that person. But you were in a situation, and it was hard. And you, you had a hard time walking away from it, and you thought, I just... And you did the thing that you said you would never do. Have you ever found yourself worried about stuff? And, and have you ever experienced this grieving, this, these things that have pierced ourselves with many griefs because of the love of money. When you have a lot of money, if, you, if money is your God, you worry more. You're concerned uh, that someone's going to take it away from you. You, you guard it more. You're, you're worried that, that so much about it, and you actually might have anxiety over it, and it affects even your spiritual life with God. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus makes it super clear. He says, look, there's just only one God. And, you, and I know we, we try to do both. I get it. I get it. We try to do both. It's just our human nature. You know what I mean? It's just try. You can have a lot of money as long as you don't worship it. And you recognize where it came from. Jesus said, follow me. Rick Warren said it like this. Most people fail to realize that money is both a test and trust from God. It is. It's a test and a trust from God. And I've discovered when it starts off small, like I, some of you, let's say, you know, the Bible talks about tithing. Tithing uh, in the Old Testament and New Testament, it's the giving of 10% of your income to God. But, you know, when you start off early, um, maybe you start off babysitting or something like that, or you're mowing lawns or something like that, and you're tithing, and your tithe is a buck or $10 or $20, whatever it is, and you start off small. And the more money you make, it becomes a little bit harder, requires a little bit more faith. It's like, gosh, this one... I did the 10%, and that's a lot. Let me redo it again. Let me make sure I had it right there. <laughs> well, that's a lot. Let me redo it one more time and make sure. Wow, that's a lot. You know what I'm talking about? It requires more faith. But also, it's opportunities for us to show God that he is God of our life. And he is the giver of it all. 
Maybe you could identify with this guy. Maybe you've had some success. Praise the Lord. Maybe you've had that. Maybe you have a good financial portfolio. Maybe you're pouring into your, you know, your retirement or whatever it might be, and you're good at taking care of your money, and you have high values. Maybe you would be a good person. Bible said, uh, Jesus said, there's this one thing. And someone said it like this, the one thing lacking in this incredible young man is that he trusted in himself more than Jesus. The one thing lacking. The one thing. Now, I think all of us have a one thing. Let me just preach about butts for a little bit, all right? Because all of us have a butt. Um, not the butt you're thinking. <laughs> Another butt. It's that butt that's like... Um, Hey, uh, your boss is really, really nice, and you're like, yeah, but you don't know him. You know what I'm talking about? Hey, your husband is really great, yeah, but mm -hmm, he's different at the house, but you don't know his temper. Hey, she seems like, gosh, she's a beautiful wife. You have a beautiful wife. Yeah, but you don't know how controlling she is. You don't know her. I hit, I hit a button there, I can tell. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about? It's like, yeah, you're a really great person, yeah, but you don't know I'm struggling with this addiction at night. Yeah, yeah, they seem great, but you don't know them like I know them. You know what I'm talking about? It's that one thing. Yeah, they're great, but everybody has that one thing. John Ortberg talks about uh, different levels of giving. And I feel like it's worth us looking at. He talks about these different types of givers. And the first one he talks about is this chip-in giver. A chip-in giver is someone who maybe goes to church and says, I, I think it costs something to keep the lights on. I'll put in five bucks. I'll put in maybe 20 bucks. It's kind of like you go to a restaurant or something at Chili's and you're like, ah, what, what do they get at Chili's? They don't, wow, that's a lot, 20%. I don't know if I can do 20%. I'll do less at church. I'll give a little bit. I'll just chip in. And then you have crisis givers. Crisis givers are people who might respond to maybe a GoFundMe. You know, someone's going through a crisis or and there's some sort of human suffering involved. So I'm going to help out. You know, there was a tornado or there's a flood, or whatever it is. That's a crisis giver. And then you have that tithing giver. That's a person who looks at the Bible and recognizes the giving of at least 10% of your income is biblical. And you see it in the Old Testament, you see it in the New Testament, and you say, okay, I'm going to honor God with a tithe from all of my income, my salaries, my commissions, my bonus, my income tax return, whatever, any income. I'm going to honor God. Dave Ramsey, a financial advisor, said the tithe is the first 10% of your income that should be given to your local church. It's strictly measured in money, so you can't replace it with giving your time or your talents. I agree with that. I know sometimes we think, well, we can tithe with our time. Um, just because it rhymes doesn't mean it's true. You should know that. And I would always say, well, look to God's word for that. If you believe that's true, just look to God's word and find the book and the chapter and the verse that says, that's okay. Just do that. And you need to show me because I haven't seen it yet. I've read the Bible a few times. Then you have the spirit-led giver. The spirit-led giver looks at tithing as a starting point. They revisit their budget, always thinking of ways to give. 
and they've learned they could never outgive God. They've just discovered that. They have a heart of gratitude. Here at Thorn Creek Church, we have some giving people here, guys. Amazing, amazing people. We, you know, we just finished our women's retreat. Did you know we had a family give $5,000 towards women's retreat so that it's affordable for other women to go to the retreat? Did you know that? You may not have known that, and you maybe have went, and you're wondering, why was it so low? That's why. Someone's loving on you, and you don't even know their name. It's beautiful. Over and over, we've had people give thousands and thousands of dollars. We give people money regularly. You know, we have our 10 above, and we've blessed people over and over, and we've said, we just know you're going through a tough financial time, and your church wants to give you $1,000, and we've done that so many times. And our men's retreat, same thing. We have people who've given thousands of dollars to help make sure the cost for men to go to men's retreat is low. And we've done this over and over and over. How much is that going to cost? Well, we want to help out with that. We wanna, and people just take the initiative. We don't ever like call someone and say, or rarely do we do that. But most of the time, God stirs a heart and someone says, hey, I'd like to give money to help out someone. We've donated cars before to people and vans just to tell them that we love them and your church loves them. We have giving people here. Now let's turn the page. Here comes the second story. Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19. Here it comes. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region. This is the only time in the Bible that that title is given, chief tax collector. The only time here. And he became very, what church, very, he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too for all of you who've never seen above your refrigerator, this is a verse you probably would love. He was too short to see over the crowd. I always think, all of you who are tall, I just want you to know that's a gift from God. I want you guys to hear that. I think that's why I like surrounding myself with really short people. <laughs> if you notice you're really tall, I'll keep a distance from you. It's like... Hey, brother, good to see you. I'm not going to stand next to you. Come over and kiss me. Um, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Wow. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed, climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I'll give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back. How many times? Four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Glory to God. Yeah, praise the Lord. I'm so glad 
for this story. Tax collector. During the days of Jesus, a tax collector was someone who would rob from his countrymen, Jews, Hebrews, and take advantage of their situation. And he would take those taxes and he would give them to the enemy, Rome. In some cultures, he'd be called an Uncle Tom. That's who he is. He's an Uncle Tom. This is a guy who nobody trusted. This is a guy that nobody invited to any parties. This is a guy that was hated. This is a guy who was looked at. That profession of tax collector was literally looked on as beneath sinners. This dude is hated on. Nobody likes this guy. He works for the enemy. Works for the enemy. And I, 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 I said this to the crew before we started. Um, you know what, guys? We do desperate things when we're desperate, don't we? When you're desperate, you know what Zacchaeus did? He climbed a tree in public. He climbed a tree. He didn't care what anyone else thought. He heard Jesus was coming through. And he put himself in the pathway of Jesus. He was desperate. You know you're desperate when you don't care what other people think about you. That's when you're desperate, right? You don't care how you look. You don't care what other people think about you. And for some of you, you need to hear this. God is waiting for you to be obedient in public so he could bless you in private. Some of you need to hear that. He's waiting for you to be obedient in public so he could bless you in private. And the other thing I thought about this is Jesus comes down and the heart of Jesus is to find the person that everybody else says they can go to hell. That's the heart of Jesus, where everybody else looks at that person and says, they're lost, I don't care anymore about them, they deserve what they're getting, I hope they get worse, and Jesus finds them. Aren't you glad Jesus found you? Those of you who are Christians, aren't you glad Jesus found you? Aren't you glad his grace and mercy has been great over your life, whether you're a believer or not a believer, there's been grace and mercy over your life. And then another thought the Lord shared with me. And you know what, he, what I thought about? I wonder how long this tree has been growing there. What do you think? It was big enough to climb. Any tree climbers in the house? I love climbing trees. I get in trouble when I climb trees. You get to a certain age and, and, and your spouse will say, what are you doing up there? That's me. I climbed my backyard tree to get down some limbs, and my neighbor said, Pastor, what are you doing up there? I'm going to tell Grace. I said, don't tell Grace. Don't tell Grace. That's what I said. How long for that tree to be there? 20 years? No, nah, I'm thinking more than that. 50 years? Maybe. How about maybe 60 years? Maybe. I wonder when God planted that tree. If he just knew this was going to be for Zacchaeus. Do you think God is that loving? Oh, some of you heard that. Others of you didn't. 
Do you think God is that gracious and merciful? Do you think that was the whole purpose of that tree? Do you think God loves you that much? Oh my goodness, guys, can you hear this? You see the love of God. Oh, hasn't God planted a tree in your life that's... You know what's worse is if Jesus is passing by and he looks up at that tree and Zacchaeus is not in it. I put that there for you and you didn't climb up that tree. And he just looks and says, hmm, he knew I was coming by right now. But you see this story and Zacchaeus climbs the tree. Verse 8 says, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I've cheated any people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. I want you to understand the Bible. Where is this coming from? If you look back in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 6, the Levitical law said this, If you have sinned in any of these ways, you are guilty. You must give back whatever you stole or the money you took by extortion or the security deposit or the lost property you found or anything obtained by swearing falsely. You must make restitution by paying the full price plus an additional, how much percent? One more time, an additional to the person you have harmed on the same day you must present a guilt offering. So the law said, hey, if you're bringing a guilt offering to God, well, God requires a remorseful sinner and repentance and obedience goes together. And when you go back and if you recognize, you know what, I stole from someone, you're to pay them back whatever you stole plus an additional 20 percent is what Leviticus tells us an additional 20 percent only after making things right on a human level can you then go to the divine level and make things and and have to have a conversation with God and turn to him with all of your heart but how you handle the the humans the relationships around you matters to God and Leviticus says man if you if you wrong someone you make you make it right if you screwed them then you got to make it right and you got to give them an extra 20% what does the kids do he says I'll pay them back I'll pay them back but then he says I'm not going to give 20% he says I'm going to give 400% 400%. Just to, you know what Zacchaeus is saying? Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. I was going to hell. I was on the road to destruction. Everybody gave up on me. I have no friends. I didn't like the person I saw in the mirror. I hated myself. I wanted my life to end. But I heard you were coming by and I climbed that tree. And when I climbed that tree, you came by and you asked me to go and hang out at my house and you wanted to hit sit in my kitchen and you wanted to be with me. 400%. In fact, I want to get more than that. See, people who recognize the love and the grace of God, it's never how much, it's always, is that all? It's always, is that all? You're a big God. Here's Zacchaeus. 
There's no amount of money that's worth more than my gratitude. There's no amount of money that's worth more than my attitude, my gratitude. We give thanks to God with all our heart because our perspective changes. David, I think King David and Zacchaeus would have been friends. David said, I'll give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. <laughs> See, when you're grateful to God, you wake up grateful. When you're, when you're grateful to God, you just wake up grateful because you recognize. And I think we need to approach God like we do this coffee cup a little bit. I think we need to approach God like this coffee cup a little bit, like we talked about. And I think we need to look at God and say, God, I thank you. <laughs> Anybody with me? God, I thank you for the breath in my lungs. Somebody has to know what I'm talking about. God, I'm thank you for that day that you saved me. I'm thankful that you showed mercy to me when I wasn't seeking mercy. I'm grateful, God, to you because you didn't give up on me when I wanted to give up on myself. You didn't give up on me. I'm thankful to you, God, because you provided for me over and over and over and over again. I'm thankful, God, to you because when I fell down, you picked me up, God. I'm thankful to you, God, because you blessed me even when I didn't deserve it, God. I'm thankful to you, because you heard my prayer even when I wasn't walking with you, God. I'm thankful to you, God, because you rescued me. I should be dead right now, but you spared my life and I'm alive right now because you heard me and you watched over me and you protected me. I'm thankful to you, God, because you didn't let me sin that night. You didn't let me crawl away from you. You put a hedge around me even though I was fighting you. You watched over me and you took care of me. I'm thankful to you, God, because you I know you healed me, and I give you praise. I'm thankful to you, God, for sending your son, Jesus Christ, into this world. And you did it for me, God. You believed in me before I believed in you, God. I'm thankful to you, God, because you loved me before I loved myself. I'm thankful to you, God, because you saved my brother. You saved my mama. You saved my father. You saved my kids. You heard my prayers. I'm thankful to you, God, because you don't give up on me. And I'm thankful to you, God, because you're faithful, even when I'm not faithful. I'm thankful to you, God, because you delivered me from that addiction in the name of Jesus. And I'm grateful, God. I'll forever be grateful because I know you were the one who delivered me. I'm thankful to you, God, because you gave me this job and you provide means for me. You provide resources. I'm thankful to you, God. I'm thankful to you, God, because you give me a car that runs every day. I turn it on and it goes and I know you're behind it and I haven't changed oil in a year and it's still going, God. I know you're watching over me, God. I'm thankful to you, God, because you're making my business grow and you're the one who's responsible for it. I know you're the one who's taking care of me. I'm thankful to you, God. I'm thankful to you, God, because you take care of me when I'm not looking. I'm thankful to you, God, for your mercy and your love. I'm thankful to you, God, for your faithfulness. I'm thankful to you, God, for forgiving me for all of my sins. I'm thankful to you, God, because when you forgive, you forget as well. And my slate is wiped clean. I have no sin in my life because of your blood. I'm thankful to you, Jesus, because of your blood. It still runs for me. I'm thankful to you, Jesus, because there's nothing like your blood. And I'm thankful, Jesus, because you take my guilt away and I have no shame in my life because of your love and your grace and the power 
and your Holy Spirit empowers me and your Holy Spirit teaches me what's right and what's wrong and I'm thankful Holy Spirit that you come back even when I mess up I'm thankful Holy Spirit that you don't give up on me I'm thankful God that my name is written on the book of life I'm thankful God that I'm looking forward to you I'm so you are so worthy God you are so worthy thank you God 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 I worship you together and shout. Thank God. Oh. Oh. I know some of you are thinking, what's he crying about? Others of you, just turn to the person. If you see someone, just tell them you, he's thankful. <laughs> and tell them I'm thankful. Can you do that? Oh my word. I think Zacchaeus was thankful. I think Zacchaeus was thankful. I always tell people, you know, you don't know who I'd be if I didn't have Jesus. I'd be a punk. If I showed up at church, he'd be like, Reuben's at church, Reuben's at church. We need eyes on Reuben, he's at church. <laughs> hide this, hide that, hide this. I don't know. The only thing good about me is Jesus. Anybody grateful? Oh, oh I should have brought a towel with me. I'm just grateful. I know some of you are grateful too. A lot of you are grateful. I want to give you an opportunity. This is a decision point. And some of you, maybe you need to ask Jesus into your life. That's legit. You want to give yourself to God first. Maybe you've never made that decision. You can make that decision. I want to pray for you. Or maybe you used to walk with God and you've gotten yourself, you're off track and you know it. But today, you're turning back. You see the tree? You're going to climb it? You're going to climb that tree? Some of you need to climb that tree. And others of you, maybe you're a little bit like that rich young ruler. And maybe God's saying, hey, it's time to put me first and trust me more. So uh, we have these uh, QR codes on the front of you on these chairs. And um, you can pull out your phone and scan it and make a decision to honor God with your finances. Just so you know, we're gonna use that QR code in multiple ways. It's not just gonna be about giving, so just know that. Um, all kinds of ways, but during this series, I wanna give you an opportunity to be thankful and honor God with your finances. So maybe it is a decision. Maybe you're a chip in, and maybe you're gonna become, maybe you're a crisis giver. And maybe you're going to become a tither or maybe you just want to you know become that spirit-led giver whatever it is but you can make that and god sees that god sees that you can use your phone for righteousness glory to god and you can uh, make that decision and scan it and it'll take you right to a, a giving form and you can um, 
you can give. Incidentally, with giving, guys, we, we send out an all-church email, and all the giving stuff is in there, so you can read about it. Whew, I'm still coming down, guys. Well, God is good. Let me pray for you. God, thank you. Thank you, God. If you're ready to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you say, Jesus, I ask you to uh, come into my heart. I want to turn to you. I ask you to forgive me for my sins. I want to be like Zacchaeus. <laughs> I need your grace. I thank you, God. I'm climbing my tree right now. And I ask you to forgive me and take a hold of me. I want to become a Christian right now. And I want to repent of my sins and I want to live for you. Others of you need to say, God, I'm just coming back to you. Jesus, slide back over behind the steering wheel. You've been in the back seat long enough. Come on up front and slide on over. I'm going to go in the back seat. I'm done. I want to get my life right with you today, tonight. Others of you maybe need to say, God, I, I, uh, I haven't been honoring you with uh, my finances, and I'm probably a little closer to that rich young ruler. But today, I'm going to honor you. And I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you. And I'm going to put my trust in you in a greater way. Thank you, God. We love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. And the church said... <laughs>